Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just north of I-94 between Highway 164 and Highway F in Ridgeview Corporate Park. And I just want to invite everybody to come in and see our new location. We've got 42 acres of beautiful scenery and trees and walking paths, and we'd love to invite you to come in and just stop in and say hi. We're also in the village of Wiper Bay. We're in the Equitable Bank building directly across from Winkies. Everyone knows where that is. We also are really happy that we can service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details and to put a voice with a face. Also, today's interview is, well, they're always great, right? And they're always interesting and exciting. But remember that you can always go to ellenbecker.com, scroll down to radio shows. You can click on Money Sense. And if you would like to share this interview with your friends or someone that you believe would benefit from it, it's really very simple to do. My guest today is Timothy Stanger, and he is going to talk to us today about art and collectibles. He has a company that is Stanger Bischoff LLC in Denver and Milwaukee. Tim has been a guest before, and I love the idea of sharing this with you because when we sit down and we do estate planning with our clients, we talk about their money, and we do trusts, and we talk about who they want their beneficiaries to be, and then at the very end, the attorney gives the client a list where they can write in the things that they want to pass to their family, to their beneficiaries, to their friends, such as jewelry and fishing poles and guns and other types of collectibles. But it's really hard for people to determine what the value is because sometimes there's a sentimental value and sometimes there's a financial value. And I know that I can say with all the estate planning that I've done, when you do a trust or you do a will, it's very cut and clear as to who gets what. And so for me, with my kids, I've got three kids, and it gets divided three ways. And they're not really going to fight about that. But the grandfather's clock, and, you know, they don't want China anymore. But the fancy car or the motorcycle or who knows what we have, pictures on the wall. I still remember a couple years ago, I came home from France and I had this absolutely beautiful mosaic that I found and I put it up in the office and Julie says, mom, I want that. (laughs) Now I said to her, okay, um, if you like it, you can have it. But I've got two other kids that I guess they might want it. And kind of knowing the value and being able to sort through things so that you really have a clear idea then to sit down and decide what it is that you want. And I can give you a really quick story with my mom. We used to always have dinner with her. And when I got married, if you all remember Watts downtown, we were going through and picking out my bridal registry. And I saw these glasses that I liked that would have gone with my china, because, you know, we all had china then. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, don't get glasses, because when I die, you can have my crystal. 
And so fast forward about 20 years, and I'm walking behind her with water as she's putting ice in these glasses at an Easter dinner for our entire family. And I said, you know, Mom, someday it's really going to be nice to decorate my table like you have with your with the glasses. And she looked at me, and she said, I gave those to Linda, she oh. said. And I said, but you gave them to me. And she said, well, you can afford to go buy your own. Yeah. And I was stunned. And the truth of it is, I'm so glad she told me because I would have gone to the mat with my sister over those sure. glasses right. from something my mother said when I was 20 years old. And so these collectibles and understanding what you have is really very important. So we're going to take a quick break because I've done a lot of talking already. And when we come back, Tim is going to tell us how do we know if we're a collector to begin with. And what do we do with the things that we treasure, both the things that we treasure from a emotional point of view and the things that we treasure because they're actually worth quite a bit of money. With that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder uh, and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Timothy Stanger, and he has a company right here in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, as well in Denver. And Tim has been on the show before talking about collectibles. And, you know, it's everybody was cleaning out the house during the pandemic. Right. And of course, our offices are moving. It's the first time I've said it on the air in June. And as you were walking in, I said, oh my God, all this art, <laughs> things that I've collected and things that we're taking and things that we might not be able to use. And I said, I really probably should talk to somebody. And he said, talk to me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and That's so right. I intend on doing that. But for the people that are listening today, how do they know that they're actually a collector? Well, that's a good question. I think these days almost everybody's a collector of something. Um, and uh, that's definitely, I think, supported by the fact that everyone knows what eBay is, right? And eBay is sort of a collector's universe. Uh, eBay's been around for 30 years, I think, at least now. Uh, but the being a, a collector has a lot of different meanings. There are people that are collectors of fine art, of decorative art. You mentioned glass, porcelain, silver, sculpture. It could be it could be cars. Uh, so saying, how do I know I'm a collector, is something that ultimately I think you probably, as you just also mentioned, you might not realize until the time comes to downsize or if you're going to move you know you mentioned you're moving your offices you've got a lot of art on the wall here that type of thing and so you say to yourself okay am I collector am I collector am I um, just sort of a accumulator <laughs> right <laughs> because a lot of people are uh, to use the the term conspicuous consumers they just accumulate things um, and that's why we do valuations uh, to help people assess which one they are. Are they just an accumulator or are they a collector? And if they are a collector, have they ever taken an inventory of what they have, you know, in their residence, in their collection, uh, and help them to assess a global value, help them to plan what to do with that, um, whether it is to insure it, whether it is to uh, uh, value it for estate planning purposes, um, or Again, if they're going to de-access it, what to do with it once they know what the value is. 
So when you're talking to a client to help them, so I have all these space here and things on the wall, things that are um, I've collected, things that I've been gifted. Mm-hmm. How does someone begin that whole process of determining what they should do? Right. The, the initial process is to have uh, us come in to do a walkthrough, whether it's, again, someone's office or someone's private residence. Uh, it could even be a, a large company that has acquired art uh, as part of, of, of their asset. And to walk through, look at those items, see what they are, get a general sense. And then when we see that, then to say, you should have a formal valuation done versus you don't need one. Uh, just to use uh, private residence as an example, um, I've walked into someone's home where they had a lot of things, but the things they had, as nice as they were, didn't rise to the level of needing a formal value. Whereas I've walked into other people's homes, good example, uh, some years ago a woman had passed away. Um, her children didn't know what to do with all the contents of her home. Her home was full of very fine American and English 18th and 19th century furniture. They had lived with it all their lives. They had no idea, though, <laughs> that actually it, it had true value in addition to having that sentimental value that you mentioned earlier before. So once we can see it, then we can say, okay, yes, you need a formal valuation. And then to proceed from there and then find out when we say formal valuation, do you need a valuation for insurance to to protect against loss or damage or theft versus, as I mentioned, this woman had passed away. We need to get an estate value so we can then ascertain how that value factors into the value of the overall estate. And then also there are beneficiaries, as there were in this case, how to make an equitable division of those assets based upon the value that we come up with. And there are different values based upon what your, your requirement is. So if it's for insurance purposes, we call that retail replacement value. That's the highest value. That's if you had to go and replace something in the primary retail market. Estate value is typically akin to fair market value. That's willing buyer, willing seller under no duress. So those are, there, there are different values depending upon what the agenda is for the valuation, what the motivation for the valuation is. How, how often does, do things change? So, for example, I had a client recently uh, whose spouse had passed away, and she collected um, china. Mm-hmm. She had like 10 sets of china that yes. she had bought. Right. And he said he couldn't give them away. Correct. That's true. So, of you course, know. You know, you're, you're in the business of planning uh, you know, investment planning. And you deal with commodities. You deal with securities. In our business as well, everything is a commodity, right? Porcelain's a commodity. Gold's a commodity. Furniture's a commodity. So, and all those things change over time. And porcelain is a, is a good example because the market for porcelain has really evaporated because people don't use it anymore. And so unless somebody has amassed a collection of very fine porcelain, let's say it's Limoges, I think most people probably recognize that name, or Royal Doulton, 
uh, as an example, or Minton, or let's say um, Tiffany, who is not really a porcelain manufacturer, but they're the marketer. In that case, those particular examples will probably still have a greater value, but for the most part, because people don't use it anymore, the way that people don't, sadly, play pianos anymore in their homes, it's very hard to then find a market to sell those things. The, the value is very, very low. Well, I know my daughter, when I downsized, and I have china, and she said, Mom, if it doesn't go in a dishwasher or microwave, I really don't want it. Right. <laughs> exactly. And that's that generation. And that's I have right. silver that I've had, gorgeous silver. Yes. And nobody wants to polish silver anymore. Right. Right. I will say, though, it's, it's, it's always uh, humorous to me because so often I've come into someone's home where they are going to downsize and they have enjoyed collecting over a period of decades. And you walk in and there's lovely furniture and there's beautiful silver and there's uh, very nice paintings on the wall. And they say to me, you know, my, my, my children aren't interested in this. 90% of the time, once we do a valuation <laughs> and they can see what the value is, suddenly they do want that silver. They do want that painting because, you know, they lived with it, but they never realized that it had value. Now, of course, that sounds sort of bad, doesn't it? Because, you know, it's like, you know they didn't care about the painting before they knew what it was worth. Yeah. But the reality is it goes back to the, the point that, that whether um, you're dealing with personal property or you're dealing with an investment portfolio, everything has value. It has worth. And it's worth something to somebody else as well. Yes. And so that's why it's so important to know what it is, uh, especially if it's great enough to factor into your overall estate. When I think of my clients that are so attached to things that, that they've had, and they do hope that their children have an interest in them. And often I would say I agree with you that they do want some things. But right. so when someone sits down with you, how do you, how do you, evaluate this. I mean, I find it fascinating to be able to, I know for myself, when I have to look up stocks and bonds and mutual funds right. and do the research on companies, yes. it's, it's, it can be tiresome, it can be difficult. How do you figure all this out when you're looking at a painting that is so old and sometimes they probably even need to be cleaned or they need things done? How do you deal with that? I mean, that's fascinating. That's a very good question. So when we do evaluation, uh, and just to take a second to explain this, uh, a formal valuation or appraisal uh, is a document that has to follow certain standards. And those standards are called the Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. A valuation document has to have four parts. The first part is who it's for, what method of value you used, the period of time that you assembled this valuation. You have a catalog, just like if you went to an auction, and you had a catalog that explained what it was, shows a picture of what it is, uh, gives you condition descriptors, and a value. Then the third part is a narrative, a written part explaining what you found, how you found it, what the market is for it. And then finally, uh, comparables, just as if you were going to buy a house and you're looking at other like houses, comparables. And so. To answer your question, it's 
it, it is a research process. If you've got a Picasso hanging on the wall, um, you're going to go and you're going to look at the recent market for Picasso. There are different uh, you know, art indices you can use that are available online to show you what the current market is for Picasso. You have to look at least at the previous three years and see what another like image by the artist, not only the uh, like image, but the size of the painting, uh, and, and, and then come back and say, okay, now I've done my homework. This is what I think this is worth based upon the overall market for this artist in the current time. It's a snapshot of time. But it really is a research process. Every appraisal is a research document. I know that I just read recently that there are so many fake pieces of art and things out there, and technology has become so creative. Yes. How do you deal with determining if something is an original, um, if something is, you know, Another good question. Another, <laughs> Another good question. Um, so I'm sure many of your listeners have probably heard of a term called carbon dating, which goes back a long time where if you had a piece of, of uh, let's say, American Indian pottery and you were concerned that uh, maybe it was not as old as it should be, you could carbon date it, which would give you a sense of its age. There are other uh, processes that we can also now use in a similar fashion to be able to take an object um, and say, okay, this is as old as it should be. However, there's always the caveat that there are never any guarantees. Um, as an example, in the 1980s, uh, the uh, Japanese were buying a lot of French Impressionism works by Degas, works by uh, Monet, millions of dollars. They would buy the work, but they didn't want to hang the actual work in their, their office. It was kept as, a, as an asset in a vault. So they would have the work copied. Now, the copied works were actually copied on the same period canvas as the original. So using 19th century canvas and the same uh, oils, making it very difficult to discern between yes. the original and the copy. So there are different uh, uh, methods that we now use to give people a greater sense that it is correct. But again, there are never any guarantees. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm, I'm curious about some of the really fantastic things that you have been able to work with and mm -hmm. to see. I mean, that's very exciting. And to give us an idea of some of the different things that people could consider as having to be valued, because often we don't even know. I mean, I remember I had a client years and years ago, she had a thimble collection. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of laughed at it thinking, oh boy, it was really valuable. Right. <laughs> had, would have never guessed that. Sure. So we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, let's just look at some of the exciting things and things that have been challenging for you and how people who are listening today can just think, oh, I've got that. Maybe I should have it. I should Absolutely. have you check it. So with that, we'll be right back.
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and senior advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. My guest today is Timothy Stanger. He is um, a has a company, Stanger Bischoff LLC, in Oconomowoc. So it's Denver and Milwaukee, and they're a full-service valuation firm with qualified appraisals. And we've been talking about the different types of things that people actually do collect. And I'm just curious about some of the things that he has seen as he's been doing this, because it's really, you know, I think most of us have at some point turned on TV and seen that show with collectibles. What is that called? Um, uh, oh, you're thinking of, um, well, we well we have done, I have done personally a show in Colorado called Colorado Collectibles, Yes, uh, which was based on the show that you're thinking about on PBS. Yes, and I would look at that and think, really? That's worth that much? Exactly. <laughs> of, of course, when, 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 you watch, when you watch that show on, on PBS, Antiques Roadshow, yes. um, uh, the, as with any TV show, it is to some degree scripted and it's edited. <laughs> Because most of the things people bring in are not of this fabulous level. Yes. You know, so it takes a while to find something really good. <laughs> uh, but in terms of, of what I've seen, you know, you, you never know. Sometimes you can walk into the most um, unassuming place and you will discover uh, a, a, a hidden treasure. Several years ago, I was contacted because in addition to working with private clients, we, we do work with trust companies, banks, insurance companies, um, uh, and corporate um, um, individuals. Uh, I was contacted by an attorney who was dealing with uh, a gentleman who passed away in Illinois who had a farm. So lots and lots of land, very small, unassuming house and two daughters. And at first, it appeared that this was just going to be a situation, again, where you're dealing with real property, not personal property. But unbeknownst to both daughters, underneath the gentleman's house, for decades, he had been buying and uh, uh, hiding gold coins in old ammunition boxes. Oh, my goodness. And so there were about 20 boxes, if people can envision these old war surplus <laughs> green metal boxes. Uh, and each one had, I can't remember the exact number, but uh, they were all $20 American gold coins. So now the estate went from whatever its value was based on the land to uh, an additional, I think in the end, I think the, the ultimate value was somewhere over a million dollars of gold coins that no one knew existed. So that, uh, and then... Can uh, you imagine opening up that first box? Right, <laughs> right, right. Which is why I always ask people when we go, go into a, a residence, I will say to them as we're walking around the house, is there anything else that you can think of? Because there's always the obvious things, the artwork on the wall or sculptures or even the, the silver in the, in, the, in the China hutch kind of thing. But I will say to people, you know, do you have a safe deposit box? Is there jewelry? You know, are there coins? Are there stamps? I've been in situations where um, one spouse was still alive, the other one had passed away. We'd walk through the house and I'd say, uh, you know, what about silver? One woman remembered that her husband had 
silver bars in a closet that he bought as an investment <laughs> that had been sitting up there for years. And of course, you know, uh, a, a, a silver bar, uh, which could be, who knows, 30, 40, 50 ounces by itself these days, you know, yes. has, has substantial intrinsic value. So uh, it's, it's always good to ask those questions. Let's talk about things like jewelry, appraising them. I never think of jewelry as an investment mm -hmm. um, because I like to wear it. Right. But in terms of it has value. Absolutely, it does. And in some cases, you want to pass it to someone. Or, but everyone doesn't like what you like. Right. That's correct. And That's right. so how do you help people to determine that? To and, and what are some of the things that you look at? I mean, there's cars and motorcycles, and yep. there's just an endless array of I, things that people collect, I'm guessing. I, I, have, <clears throat> I have valued almost, I would say, every possible aspect of what you could collect. I have valued ethnographic art, uh, meaning, uh, you know, sculptures from, you know, Africa, sculptures from the South Pacific. I have valued, um, of course, uh, you know, paintings. I have valued uh, uh, coins. I valued stamps. I valued silver. I valued sculptures, furniture, um, cars. Um, I've even valued farm equipment uh, and other machinery. Uh, now, with jewelry, that is a, uh, a very um, specific <coughs> niche because while we value everything, and we certainly will value somebody's watches, could be Rolex watches, Breitling watches, pocket watches, and we certainly can value precious metal if you, you know, had a collection of, of gold chains and necklaces. But when it comes to jewelry, you need to have a certified gemologist. And so we will bring in an individual who will do that aspect because, as you say, jewelry, it can be a major investment. And... When it comes to jewelry, we're dealing with precious gems, and precious gems, of course, have carat sizes and clarity and cut. And so those, that aspect is something that we will bring a specialist in. Um, and it's very important with your jewelry, as with, I would say, with any sort of, of, of number of things that I've already mentioned, to have those things valued and to keep it updated because when we do evaluation, or a gemologist does evaluation of your jewelry, or our evaluations, uh, once the valuation is done, you've done the big part. You've got the inventory, you've got a list of everything you have, you've got values on it. But of course, as with all commodities, values change, they go up and go down. And so we recommend as a standard that evaluation be updated at least every two years. And that goes for jewelry too. Uh, not so much for the metal aspects of the jewelry, although that can change too dramatically. Certainly silver and gold mm -hmm. and platinum um, are all currently much higher than they were several months ago. Uh, but the overall value of gems changes. For a while, diamonds were substantially higher. Um, they have, the, the value for diamonds has leveled off, but the value for emeralds, rubies, sapphires, uh, tourmaline um, have all gone up substantially in the last several months. So it's very important to keep keep an eye on that and to make sure that you have that schedule with your insurance company so you're protected. So often 
a parent will pass away. Yes. And as you said, kids live with this stuff their whole lives and really don't have an idea of the valuation and the worth of it. And I think, you know, a lot of times things get thrown away and things get donated and right. without really having an idea of what's there. What do you suggest that they give you a call and have you, as you said, walk through and just say yay, nay, or this is something to consider yeah, before they actually just start distributing things even? Ab absolutely. I have had innumerable conversations with people where I will tell them it's important, if at all possible, to have us come and walk through first and, and look for you. Let, let our eyes look. Because as you say, so, so often there are situations where somebody comes in and they may not even be the actual child. They may not actually be related. They may just be the personal representative uh, you know, or the executor. And they're suddenly confronted with, what do I do with all these things? And it's important to go through and look first because otherwise things will just get given away. And that's the worst thing that can happen, especially, you know, because um, there are times where, you know, untrained eyes just don't know and it all goes to goodwill. Yes. And then somebody walks away with <laughs> a treasure. With a treasure. That's right. And so, it, you know, it, it, you know and, and we, as a rule, we will come and visit with you. Um, we do charge a consultation fee to do that, uh, but we'll spend as much time as you want us to spend with you and go through and, and then guide you from there. What are the most difficult things for you to um, evaluate? Or is it all got its, it's probably all has its own um, timeline to figure things out and right. wear and tear and all the different things. That right. Well, that goes back to um, <coughs> my comment about how every valuation is a, is a research document. Some things are, are readily apparent when you walk in. Um, now, when I say readily apparent, I should say I've been doing this for almost 30 years. I, I actually started way back 30 years ago at Sotheby's. And so in this business, you want to find somebody who's got a long track record because it's just having the exposure to the items, just knowing what you're looking at. So, uh, you know, you can walk in and you can see something that's obvious, like a George III bow front chest of, of drawers <laughs> that's mahogany and it's got its original oval poles on it. But then you run into, as you just asked, you know, what are more difficult things? You might have a beautiful landscape on the wall, beautifully executed um, uh, on, on, on canvas or board, but there's no signature. So, all right, you can tell that it was well done. You can tell by looking at it that it has great age. It definitely has value, but if we don't know who did it, how do we value it? And that is what becomes complicated, is looking at that piece of art and saying, now what can I match it up to? Who does it look like technique-wise? And those types of situations um, are the ones that, of course, you, you need somebody who has a long background. If you think about all the different things, rugs, oriental rugs, yes. um, screens, I mean. Difficult area rugs. Yes. Because if you're dealing with a Persian rug or a, a Chinese rug, what's the pattern? How old is it? <laughs> is it an antique? Is it a semi-antique? Um, is it a reproduction? 
because there are so many reproductions of Persian rugs from India. Um, and so that, again, goes back to relying on someone who has had that exposure over a long period of time. My guest today is Timothy Stenger. He has a company in Denver and in Milwaukee. They're actually right in Oconomowoc, and they do full-service valuations and qualified appraisals. And this is such an important part of estate planning and helping people to look at the things that are very simple because it's a, we have their portfolios, but we don't know what's in their houses, and we don't know what they actually have. And I can tell you that kids, everybody's kids are great, but kids fight over stuff. (laughs) And you alluded to it earlier. Sometimes they find out, oh, that's really worth a lot, and they want it. And other times it's something that's very familiar to them. But having an idea of the value of what you have as you're trying to sort of divvy up your estate plan or pass things on to your beneficiaries, sometimes you might want to sell things that your kids don't want in advance because you have the idea that there's value there. So you don't want to just leave it go and hope for the best, that your kids are going to understand what you have. Have that conversation with them. Have it appraised. Um, Give Tim a call at 303 548 8614 and at least find out if there's kind of a value. I always like to think of things like that as you're going to the mall for the first time. There's a great big arrow and it says you are here. You know, right. and if you take, you know, we we look at your financial pieces and it's gathering all the information that you have to make qualified decisions, looking at your estate plan, but then it always comes down to, well, what are the extra things that aren't going to really pass? through your trust, or maybe they should, depending on the value they are. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got some more good info. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And, you know, we're celebrating some big years here, almost 34 years of doing Money Sense. And I always say I've never sold a product on the air because I really wanted to bring information, education, so that my clients, so that my listeners could make really good decisions about um Right here, their collectibles, mm-hmm. their investments, their estate planning. And today my guest is Timothy Stenger, and he has a firm, Stenger Bischoff LLC, which is in Denver and Milwaukee, right here actually in Oconomowoc. And we've been talking about how to approach your estate. So when we talk about wills and trusts and powers of attorney, we, those are pretty cut and dry as the way that you're going to be, your estate is going to appear. But then there's all those other extra things that, you know, kind of is a piece of paper you fill out and you say who gets what. And so I've listed, you know, who gets my pearl necklace and who gets my rings. But the reality is, is I can kind of go back and know what I paid for some of those things. But many I've had for 30, 40 years, I really don't have an idea of the value and the net worth of some of those. And the last thing that I want is for my children to have a disagreement, to um, separate and not talk to each other because there's a, you know, an issue around something that one of them wanted or the value of something. And so really having that conversation early with your children, and you're the one that's going to know where you bought it, who, it, it, who painted it, 
or why you have it. And it's going to be a much simpler process to figure out its value than, Tim, if you have to actually do it and you have no history. Right, exactly. And I was going to say that the uh, prior to the break, you made an excellent point about estate planning because what we do is to work in concert with someone like you um, as part of the overall estate planning because so often what happens is that there isn't any planning in terms of the personal property of the individual. And so often uh, I have witnessed just terrible scenarios where uh, someone didn't consider that. And so if there isn't that planning, it can create so many headaches. Uh, because what happens, of course, is you know what probate is, right? If there, if there isn't any planning, it can go into probate and it can delay the estate being settled amongst the, the beneficiaries. Or even worse, without that kind of planning and thinking about that when you're sitting, when people are sitting down with you, and telling you, okay, yes, I've got my investment portfolio, but I've also got this great art collection, and I've got this. Well, I can tell you that all the estate planning I've been doing for over 30 years, most attorneys do not ask about collectibles. Correct. They ask about, do you have copies of your financial statement? Do you have, yes. you know, your house? What's the value of your lake cottage? But they really don't often ask about collectibles unless somebody says, well, I have this art collection. Correct. Um, and so often people, I mean, maybe more savvy people have an idea of this is an art collection, but a lot of times clients don't think of it that way. No, they don't. And uh, I could give you a, an endless litany of, of, of terrible stories. Uh, I, I'll just share one quickly with you, which was uh, many years ago, uh, a woman was a major collector of Chinese porcelain sculpture uh, and works on paper she this collection was ultimately worth several million dollars however she had never had it properly valued or inventoried it was not part of her estate plan as a result it ended up having to go to auction where the members of the family all had to bid against each other to try and retain these objects, which meant a great deal to them, not only because of the collection that their mother had amassed, but also because of their family ancestry. And so they were forced then to go into an auction scenario and bid against each other and bid against other people who were then taking these objects away. And so it's so- Heartbreaking. Exactly. And so it's so important to work with someone like yourself and someone like ourselves, and as part of that overall plan of what's going to happen to these objects. And, you know, are they going to go into a trust? And how will they be distributed when the time comes? And the taxation on it. Absolutely right. Thinking about if it is a collection and it has a large monetary value, that does become part of your estate. Yes, And it does. is considered as part of the taxable estate. That's correct. That's correct. And, and you want to understand that. Yep, and that's in a lot. Of, and you, as you mentioned, uh, when I sit down with a client the first time, one of the questions I ask, and it goes back to the fact that I was some years ago an investment advisor uh, in another life, which is, do you have an estate planning attorney? Are you working with somebody who has got your estate plan all together, and and do they know about what you have here? And I'd say half of the time they say, no, we don't. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and of course, also that's why so often in situations where we deal with an estate where the individuals are no longer with us, that's when we get the call from the attorney saying, can you help me? What, what, am I, what, what do I do? Yes. You know, I just found out that, you know, my, my client passed away and their PR was an old friend of theirs and they don't know what to do. And they've called me and the house is, you know, full of X, Y, and Z. What do I do with this? And so it's so much better to try to get this all done in advance. Let's talk about that. Where does all this stuff go? Good question. <laughs> it all depends, right? Everything, the, it, it, there's, uh, there's the caveat that it all depends. Um, in a typical um, estate, uh, let's just say an estate that, that does consist of some very good furniture and art and things like that, and then your other typical sort of goods and chattel, as we would call it. <laughs> um, once we go in, if we have to value everything, and sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but many times we have to go into an estate and value everything from the $100,000 painting on the wall to the washer and the dryer and everything else in the house. Uh, once we are able to assess the global value and the individual values, then we can say to whomever is responsible for the disposition of the estate, okay, these particular objects are of a certain value that they need to go to a major auction house. Like a, like a Heinemann in Chicago or a Sotheby's or a Christie's or a Bonham's uh, or a Cowan's or someone like that, then you've got items which also have value but not of a, of a substantial value where maybe they can be sold, again, in an auction sense but maybe in a local sense. And then you've got everything else. and typically, All the way down to the rummage sale. All the way down to the rummage <laughs> sale, right. And of course, you know, these days there are so many <coughs> estate sales companies that are out there. Um, and that level, they're useful. I in no way would say don't use one. Certainly they serve a, a very good purpose and there are some very good ones out there from national ones, uh, like a Max Sold, which some people may have heard of before, um, to an everything but the house. Um, to local ones, they're very good just understanding that for all the rest of those things that go to the estate sale company, typically those items are going to be sold um, in a manner in which the primary goal is to get them gone mm -hmm. uh, versus the more valuable items where, again, as I said, it needs a high-end auction house. And so we help people navigate that. So in terms of um, our listeners today who are kind of looking around their house going, oh, I didn't really think about yes. that as being um, something of value. If they wanted to just do some checking to know before they call you, mm -hmm. is there a way that they can look online or they can just get an idea of, yeah, this I think is really kind of merit or is the best thing to call you at that 303-548-8614 and have you come in and, and evaluate it? I would say it's better to call us. And the internet is a great thing. It's a great thing because you can you can go online and you can say, okay, I've got a, a you know a, a lithograph by Miro. 
But the internet can also be a burden because you can look, but it can give you the wrong impression as to what it is you have and what the value may be. It's better to call us first, have us come in and guide you simply because um, the internet can lead you down a path of thinking something you have is maybe more valuable than it is. It can also lead you down a path to thinking that it's not so much when in fact it is. And you've got things like beautiful porcelain and things that really look like they have value, but you could have records, you could have um, prints, you could have movie prints. I mean, there's just so many things that um, could hold value. There are so many niches and aspects of collecting (coughs) that it's really impossible, in my opinion, to do it yourself. I mean, you just mentioned in just your last statement, what, three or four different things that you, you, you could have. A, we've, we've come across that. We walked into a large estate. There were albums full of signed photographs from celebrities. What are those worth? Yes. Right? Some of them might be worth not a whole lot. Some of them might be worth a great deal. So, exactly. My guest today is Timothy Stanger. He is um, a full-service valuation firm, and they do qualified appraisals. You can go to www.stangerbischoff.com. You can also give a direct call to 303-548-8614 to determine if the things that you have hold value. And once you know what they are and you get a handle on where you're at, then you can decide what you want to do with them. So, Tim, thank you so much for being a guest once again. Thank you. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thank you so much.